This is part five um, and the final installment on the return, Jesus's return. Remember, the whole point of a forerunner is to prepare people for Jesus's return, to, in my case, to remove the stones, which I talked about 12 of them, from the highway, preparing our lives for fixing those areas of our lives that need to be fixed. Uh, for Jesus' return, so that we are, in fact, prepared for him. So, uh, as I said, this is part five, um, and the final part concerning Jesus' return. <clears throat> uh, one of the false teachings of the pre-tribulation rapture is that Jesus could return at any moment. This is not true. Not true. Well, it is true that when Jesus does come, he will come as a thief in the night, that is, at a day and a time that no one knows. All who want to avoid being deceived and who want to be prepared need to know the real Jesus really, really well, so that they do not encounter him as a thief in the night. And knowing him, his voice, and his form, what he's really about, that's important. That's what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for not knowing. It is really to those who get deceived, who don't know Jesus of Nazareth as he actually is, who will experience Jesus' coming as a thief in the night. In other words, like the five virgins who were deceived and not prepared, thus those people will suffer great loss in the way that someone who does not prepare to thwart a thief is shocked when the thief causes him loss. They weren't prepared for him. So the thief was a thief. But more than this, here's what the Word of God says about Jesus' return. Now we know it will not be at any moment. Jesus himself says at least two things about timing, which tell us that his return is not at any moment. First, the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to every ethnic group on the planet. And although we might be pretty close to actually accomplishing that, we're not there yet. Secondly, there has to be a Jewish temple in Jerusalem for the Antichrist to set up an idol of himself in which he claims to be God and demands people everywhere worship him. And that, not just that it has to be somewhere in Jerusalem, it has to be on the Temple Mount. And what sits there right now is a Muslim mosque, the one with the golden dome. That thing has to come down, and a Jewish temple has to be built there. Now, that sounds kind of impossible. I mean, that's like maybe World War III kind of impossible. And, and that might be, but that is what Scripture tells us is, is existing, and so it has to happen. Now, there, uh, I was talking with someone about this, and they said, well, no, not necessarily. You know, there's plenty of land there. The, the Jewish temple could be built in, in just a little bit alongside the mosque. No, that ain't going to happen. Devout Muslims and Orthodox Jews are not going to negotiate over that piece of property. One's going to be a loser, and one's going to be a winner, and the winner is going to be the Jews. Now, how that happens Maybe the Antichrist is going to get involved in some way and broker some sort of deal or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe the mosque will be destroyed by a crazy 
Muslim terrorist that fires off a rocket and it doesn't hit its target, it blows up the mosque. Maybe the mosque comes down from a, an earthquake because Jerusalem is very close to a significant fault line. So all of that might happen. I, I don't know. Maybe someone else knows. But that what I do know is the mosque is coming down and a Jewish temple is going to be built there. Paul, too, says that there are at least two things that must happen before Jesus can return. The Christians in Thessalonica have been given a false teaching that a secret rapture had occurred. That sounds kind of like a pre-tribulation rapture, doesn't it? Paul sent them this letter in which he wrote, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled. Easily unsettled. Like, calm down. Or alarmed by some so-called prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us. See, there was some deception going on, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, one, the rebellion, the great rebellion, that is the, the falling away that Jesus also talked about in Matthew 24, occurs, and number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed. So again, According to Paul, two things must happen before Jesus returns to this planet to establish his kingdom. The falling away and the man of lawlessness must come to power. Obviously, neither one of those has occurred either. So that's quite a few things. That's at least four things that need to happen. So uh, Jesus had some instructions uh, to the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. This is the first time he sends them out two by two to do ministry by themselves, essentially, without him. And that entire chapter is, you could say it's kind of like a training chapter. It's got some really good things. And uh, as I've been looking at it, I think there's some things that uh, we could apply to us today in preparation for what's coming. It'd be some good advice to Jesus's followers today. So, I pulled a few verses here and there, and I'm going to read them to you. All of these are in chapter 10. Uh, Matthew, you can read them for yourself. So as you go, he says, proclaim the message. What message? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Then we back that up by heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. In other words, the signs validate the proclamation. Proclamation plus de uh, demonstration. Freely you have received, freely give. You don't charge for any of this. Further, he goes on later and he says, If anyone will not come to you and listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. In other words, don't waste your time with people that don't want to listen. You don't get into an argument. You don't try to wrestle them into the kingdom. If they don't want it, move on. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town or those people. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as dust. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. There will be persecution. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. But when they arrest you, again, there's going to be persecution, folks. Get ready. When they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. 
At that time, you'll be given what what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will will betray brother to death. That's pretty serious. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Wow. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said that in just about every one of the seven letters he sent out in Revelation. When you're persecuted in one place, so you another. Then later he says, a student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above the master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. But if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, the devil, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. For I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. For it is whispered in your ear, proclaimed from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Do not be afraid to kill those who can kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. You should remember that. Because when the day comes, that's important. Rather, Jesus goes on, and I find this incredibly uh, intense as a motivational. He's trying to motivate them. Rather, he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Be better for that guy to kill me than for me to succumb, deny Jesus, and end up in hell. That would be worse. Whoever acknowledges me before others, he went on to say, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. He will eventually, but initially, when he starts the process, it won't be peaceful. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Take a look at Revelation 19. He's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a war horse. In fact, when uh, Isaiah saw him, his garments were soaked in blood. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The end times are definitely going to test that. Big time. That's why there's going to be a a gigantic falling away. Most people that claim to be followers of Jesus, and maybe have been, when the pressure comes, they won't be prepared, they'll be deceived, they'll fall away. So here's the bottom line for the church in the end. It's not just answering the question of who Jesus is. That's important, but what's critical is the first and the greatest commandment. The ultimate question is, who does one love? For whoever tries to save their life will lose it. And if one does not does does love Jesus first and most, then one major way a person expresses this is by being faithful to Jesus when it is hard to love him and to be faithful to him. I mean, that's the real test, isn't it? 
Anybody can love when it's easy to love. The real test comes to love when it's hard to love. Further, the mark of the beast is put on the hand and the forehead. Although the beast's mark is an actual and literal thing, the placing of the mark has meaning. The hand speaks of what one does, and the forehead speaks of what one thinks. Therefore, those who are compromised and lukewarm, not knowing the difference between apostolic Christianity and churchianity, or the difference between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or those who love money, or democracy, or psychology, or secular music, etc., 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 those who are currently trying to walk the fence between the kingdom and the world are those who are even now already prepared to receive the mark. Why? Simple. Because the things they're currently doing, the way they're living this life, their views of this life and this world are already in line with the Antichrist. Even if some of these people know about the mark, they will be deceived into taking it, for it will just flow right along with what they're already thinking and doing. It'll be very natural because they're already doing it. Are you? Are you already living in ways that compromising with the world so that the Antichrist has you set up? Or have you come out from among them? Are you living differently? And that doesn't just mean going to church or reading your Bible. Are you falling more and more deeply in love with Jesus, committed to him, faithful to him, knowing him? This is why John says the following concerning the beast's mark. This is Revelation 13, 18. This calls for wisdom. It sure does. Not human wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not tree of knowledge of good and evil wisdom, not churchy entities wisdom, but the living God's wisdom. So, summarize. Remember that understanding some of the main issues related to what Jesus says about his return involves keeping his comments in the context of Matthew chapters 21 through 25. All those chapters, except for well, about 95% of them, happened on Monday. A little bit of it happened on Sunday. So if you're going to understand what he's saying, you have to read that whole chunk. Remember also that the Bible uses time frames. It has used time frames several times. Thus, it is not unusual for Jesus to give us a time frame. Not a day and an hour, be sure you hear me say that, but a time frame. In response to the disciples' question to him about when he will return, they asked him that question specifically, and he answered them, not with a day and an hour, but with a time frame. Remember Jesus' sevenfold curse of Israel's leaders, and thus the nation of Israel in chapter 23. And note especially his prophetic statement about the nation becoming desolate, dried up, and dead, just like the fig tree, which was fulfilled in 70 AD. The Romans destroyed literally the land. Remember Jesus' twofold warnings to those who want to make it uh, of not being deceived and being prepared to endure terrible things to the very end. Remember that Jesus' faithful followers will suffer, which is an honor and a privilege. 
And why not be deceived and being prepared to, to endure are critical. These are critical. Don't be deceived. Be prepared. They're not optional. Remember the lesson of the fig tree. The generation that sees Israel, the fig tree, come back to life will not pass away until it sees, until that generation sees his return. Remember the warning about the five prepared virgins and the five unprepared virgin virgins. You don't want to be in that second group. Remember and beware of the profoundly false teaching called the pre-tribulation rapture. We're not going anywhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going anywhere. You will be here serving him, doing some of the things that he wants you to do. He's doing this in conjunction with his bride, both the members of it that have already died and gone to heaven, a holding place, the saints, and those that are still on the earth. And it will be costly. It will be difficult. And yet, I don't know if you can say this with me. I hope you will. Say it over and over. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul.